great to be with you all this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. It's an honor to come up into the pulpit this morning and open God's Word with you all to see, continue to see what treasures God has for us in His Word here in Proverbs. If you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the entirety of chapter 4 together. While you're turning there, I, I wanted to share a quote with you that I think goes pretty well with our text this morning, but as well, it goes with the themes that we've been seeing in the book of Proverbs thus far. It comes from a very wise teacher and philosopher, and this is what he says. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Consume you, it will. And these, wise, these wise words come from Jedi Master Yoda of the Star Wars universe. They really give us a sense of what the father here in Proverbs is warning his son about as he urges him to walk the path of light rather than darkness. See, in Star Wars, you have an order of people called the Jedi. They inherit something called the Force from their family line, typically from one of their parents. And from a very young age, they're trained and, and taught in the ways of the Force, how to hone this and endure as they, they grow in this power and, and that they can stay on the right path and use what they've inherited for good. This quote here from Yoda is one of many warnings Warnings about something called the dark side of the force. The dark path that one can easily go down and be totally consumed by. If they've not been taught in the right ways to guard themselves and stay on the path of the good and light. And this sort of resembles the instructions and the directions and the warnings that we're going to see in our text this morning. Instruction in pursuing a life on the wise and righteous path of light, and warnings for avoiding the wicked path of darkness, which will indeed consume you if you aren't guarded against it. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading all 27 verses of Proverbs chapter 4. Let's listen to the words of our all-wise and holy God. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. 
Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are the wise and holy one, the one who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. We're truly grateful for the wisdom that you're communicating to us from your word this morning. Pray that you would speak through me to your people the timeless truths and precious promises that you've left for us here in your word. Would you incline our ears to hear and our eyes to see. We pray all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, so far in our series in Proverbs, we've um, seen the father, it was King Solomon, making numerous appeals to his son, the prince, to listen to his instruction and seek wisdom as the most important thing he can do. And our text this morning is no exception, as we see the, the next three fatherly appeals to his son. In these appeals, we see a journey of sorts, a path of wisdom through the life of one who would seek and receive it, then continue pursuing it with all they have throughout their life. The big idea we're going to see in our passage this morning is the wise Christian walks the righteous path by gaining the legacy of wisdom, growing in the light of wisdom, and guarding the location of wisdom. So first, let's look at gaining the legacy of wisdom. At the opening of our text, the father, King Solomon, is making an appeal much like the ones we've seen in the first three chapters of Proverbs. He he begins in verses 1 and 2 saying, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. And the father here is beckoning again his son to hear his wise instruction, to not turn away from them, because hearing and obeying them will provide understanding and discernment in life. However, this appeal is a little different from the past ones, because now he's, he's addressing a plural sons, rather than the singular son. And he shows us why in these next verses. He says in verses 3 and 4, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Solomon here is introducing us now to the grandfather and grandmother of his son, his own father and mother, King David and Bathsheba. And in doing so, he's showing us that the very nature of wisdom is to be passed down through the generations from the wise to the unwise. And that's precisely why he uses the plural sons here in verse 1 to show us that he's addressing and appealing to all of his descendants and the coming generations to urge them into this, this wise and time-tested way of living. We also can't forget that Solomon, as king, is passing down this wisdom to the prince, the future king of Israel. So there's much at stake, not just for Solomon's descendants, but also for the entire nation of Israel. And Solomon's saying to his son here that to be wise is a family legacy. He's urging his descendants to receive and take part and continue in this legacy and tradition of their family. My family and I are all die-hard Kentucky Wildcat fans. And we bleed blue. And it's not, it's not the fake blue that Duke and North Carolina fans talk about. It's the real blue, the big blue. 
And for those of you that don't do sports ball, the Kentucky Wildcats are a sports team from the University of Kentucky in Lexington. It's the best basketball program in the country, by the way. Now, I didn't grow up in Kentucky. I didn't, I didn't go to the school. So really, there's, there's no good reason that I should, and my family and I should be Kentucky Wildcat fans, other than it was something of great importance that was passed down through the generations. So my grandfather became an avid UK fan when he lived in Kentucky, eventually became a recruiter when he moved up to Ohio here in this region. His wife, my grandmother, came from a small town in Kentucky, and she eventually became a fan of the team as well. This love for the Wildcats and the legacy of being fans was passed down from my grandfather to my father, and then from both of them to my brother and I. Now my brother's kids, my nephews and nieces, the fourth generation, the Kentucky Wildcats are the only team they know to root for, and we wouldn't have it any other way. But for many of you, maybe it's, it's another team loyalty that was passed down in your family, or maybe, maybe a special family holiday tradition, or, or legacy serving in the military. Whatever, whatever it is, most families have some sort of tradition or legacy that, that's very important to them that they want to see continued on. And here's the thing, what we hold dear, what we see as most important in life, we want to pass on to others. When something really has our heart, we can't help but pass it on to others that we love, hoping that it continues. And we can see here that for David, the most important thing was his son receiving this legacy of wisdom. Solomon quotes the teaching of David in verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And we can hear the urgency and seriousness in this appeal from David to Solomon, much like the appeals we've been seeing from Solomon to his son throughout Proverbs. It includes many of the same elements we've talked about in the first three chapters, the necessity of getting wisdom and insight and never forgetting or forsaking them in life. And if we do that, if we seek and treasure wisdom as someone that we love and desire dearly, will be kept and guarded, exalted and honored, beautified. All the benefits that come from living as God designed. However, here in the middle of David's teaching in verse 7, we see a sort of strange statement. David says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, Get insight. And now, is David really telling us that in order to start getting and growing in wisdom, all we need to do is just do it? In a way, yes, but this isn't like Nike telling us to just do it. David is, there's something more that he's saying here, and this is where looking at some other translations can help us to understand the fuller meaning here. For instance, in the CSB translation, the first part of the verse says, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And then in the NIV, the second part of the verse says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. So really what David is saying here is getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. So you should get it no matter what it costs you. It's worth everything that we have to acquire wisdom and understanding. This is the way that will enable us to see God rightly and live in the way that he has made us to live. We see a similar emphasis in David's teaching to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 when he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart 
and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. See, for David, a life of wisdom, a life of serving the Lord are one and the same. And to David, it's the most important thing that one can learn and pass down. So for Solomon, the important legacy to be continued is that of David's, a life of wisdom that seeks to serve and honor the Lord. And it's worth giving up all the foolish, worldly ways that we're living to acquire this wisdom so we can live in right relationship with God. Church, it's worth everything to be in a relationship with Jesus because it's the most important thing that we can have in life. And this is what we want to pass down to others. We have a good New Testament example of this as the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells what is being passed down to all of us as first importance. He says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul's telling us here that the most important thing that we can receive and pass on to others is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This legacy of wise living and right relationship with God has been made manifest in Jesus. And Jesus himself is the way, and he is the one who is wisdom personified. He came to live a life of perfect wisdom and right relationship to the Father on our behalf. And church, the amazing thing is that now as the New Testament people of God and God's adopted children through Christ, we're now invited into this legacy of wisdom. We participate in this legacy first by hearing God's wise instruction, receiving it, devoting ourselves to it. If we're not saturating our own lives in God's word, taking in his wisdom through the persistent reading, studying, meditation on it, how will we be able to pass it on to others? We can also seek out wisdom from others in the church, whether it be from more mature believers or reading wise voices from throughout the 2,000 years of church history. There are many voices in our midst and from the past that offer much wisdom, and we would do well to seek those out and learn from them. But then the more we're receiving and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we will want to pass it down to others. It's the most important thing. Of course, the primary way this passing down happens is through the proclamation of God's word from church pulpits across the world every Lord's Day. But another very essential way in which the church participates in passing on this legacy is in the home. Pastor Garrison talked about in chapter 2 the extremely important way that parents teach and model the wisdom of the Christian faith to their children. However, here in chapter 4, we see another generation taking part in this work. Maybe you're a grandparent here this morning and you've decided that your work in this legacy is done because your, your kids are grown and they're out of the house. But I want to encourage you to continue on in this most important work of imparting wisdom and devotion to Christ to your kids, your grandkids, and those younger than you in the church. Charles Spurgeon exhorts older saints when he says, do not die, O ye gray heads. And remember, gray hair is a crown of glory, y'all. Ye who have passed your threescore years and ten, do not pass away from this earth with all those pleasant memories of God's loving kindness to be buried with you in your coffin. But let your children and your children's children know what the everlasting God did for you. Participating in this legacy isn't limited to age or even blood family. The Apostle Paul and other fathers of the faith were not fathers to biological children, but they labored in passing on the faith to those they considered spiritual children. 
being a part of Christ's church, we're called into a family of believers where we take part in discipleship with one another. And as we're taught in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord, we're passing it on to others in need of it. And one of the many joys that I have as a pastor is listening to the testimonies of incoming members into the church, hearing all the ways and the people that the Lord used in their lives to bring them to the faith. Many of these stories include the faith being passed down to the generations of their family or in their church or even through faithful friends. And imagine how wonderful it would be for all the current children of Veritas to someday be the older saints who are passing faith in Jesus down to their children, grandchildren, and younger saints in the church, and for them to tell of all the saints that passed it down to them. So God brings us into this legacy of wisdom. He gives us his word and each other to keep us on the right path, this way of wisdom. This is exactly what Solomon is aiming to do in this next section of our text. Look with me next at growing in the light of wisdom. Solomon continues on in verses 10 through 13. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. So verses 1 through 9 were about setting us on this right path. Verses 10 through 19 are about keeping us on this path. Solomon's saying to his son here, now that I've set you on the right path, by passing on this wisdom and understanding and the Lord to you, your journey will be clear and safe as long as you stay on this path. And Solomon warns his son that there will be another path with temptations and competing voices along the way. He says in verses 14 to 17, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Solomon is showing us again clearly that there are two paths, only two. He's very clear about which path we need to be on and stay on. So here we're warned about the wicked path, the way of evil, and the gloom and misery that accompanies it. For those who are on that path, they are consumed by it, to the point that wickedness has become what they survive on. Solomon says here they can't even sleep without doing what is wicked in God's sight. This is the cost of a life without wisdom, a life that does not pursue Jesus with everything they have. So the warning here is don't step foot on that path. Don't even glance down that path. Don't even sniff in the direction of that path. Because it will attempt to call you down. It will beckon you. And it will, or else Solomon wouldn't have put these warnings in here at all. There would be temptations to join the path of the wicked, but God is intent on guiding and helping his people in the right way. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God does not want his children following temptation onto the path of the wicked to be consumed by it. So he provides us with a way of escape through his wisdom. So then with his help, we choose the way of the wisdom or the way of wicked. The fool will beckon us to join him. At times, it may even look enticing. Voices in the world will tell us what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes it may even seem like they're right. But they're not seeking God's way. In church, we've been taught the right way through wisdom in God's word. 
We've been set on the righteous path through faith in Jesus Christ. So while those on the dark path eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, we eat the bread of his broken body on the cross and drink the wine of his shed blood. And we seek to follow him on this right path no matter the cost and never forsaken. Next in verses 18 and 19, Solomon further contrasts these two ways and he gives us a beautiful motivation and encouragement to continue looking to and following Jesus on the right path. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Solomon gives us this beautiful picture of a sunrise here to represent the life that has lived on the righteous path, which is realized in the life of a Christian. One of my favorite things about winter, which may be my only favorite thing about winter at this point, is, is getting up early in the morning to go for a walk. When I get up to start my walk, it's still dark outside. Then usually about halfway through my walk, the, the sun starts to peek out on the horizon. And then, you know, as I, as I continue my walk, the sun hits this point in the sky where it starts to provide some warmth. It gives a, a beautiful reddish pink hue to the sky. It's providing the hope of a new day, while also gradually giving me a clear vision of my path. See, the way doesn't get darker as we travel down it. It's getting lighter, and therefore safer and more certain, which gives us peace along the way. And this illustrates well the, the sanctification that we experience in the Christian life. And unlike justification, which means we are declared righteous, through Christ at the time we believe. Sanctification is the way that we become progressively more like Christ throughout our lives. It does occur at conversion, but then it continues on the entire life of the Christian, making us more and more like Jesus. As we're sanctified, we grow in wisdom and understanding. This is not like an artificial intelligence simply expanding its knowledge until it becomes smarter than humans. This is a total renovation of the heart. It lasts our entire lifetime. The light of sanctification shines itself into every dark corner of our life, bringing our whole person out of foolishness and into the righteousness of Christ. We're not passive in this process. God has given us His Holy Spirit. It applies Christ's atoning sacrifice on our behalf, but it also the Spirit he may work in us in obedience to Christ. It's a constant process for the Christian of, of putting off the old self and putting on the new. We never come to a point in this life where we've arrived. We're always growing in wisdom and Christ-likeness until we reach full day. The day that we join Him in eternity. In the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, says this about sanctification. In this war, that's, that is the war between the flesh and the spirit, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes. So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. They pursue a heavenly life in gospel obedience to all the commands that Christ is head and king has given them in his word. See, when God saves us in Christ, he's not content to leave us as we are, but delights in making us more and more like his beloved son. Our sanctification as believers is a beautiful gift that God has given us, though I know sometimes it can be really painful. It's a battle. And we often, we often want to be further along than where we are. But God has a perfect will and timing for how he sees fit to grow us and use us for his good purposes. And ultimately, in our sanctification, we can rejoice in God's promise in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, much like a beautiful sunrise gives us the hope of a new day, as Christians, we always have the hope of a new day. And that new day is what Solomon calls here, full day. The point where the sun is at its highest point in the sky and its light has filled the earth. This is the hope of all hopes for us, church. This is the day when our faith becomes sight, when we will be with Christ face to face, when we will have no more need of sanctification, but will be glorified in his presence, when we'll no longer have to worry about folly or temptation, but will rest in his protection. We'll no longer need to grow in wisdom because we'll have reached the point of full wisdom as we dwell with the person of wisdom forever. This is the culmination for the Christian, the day of Christ Jesus. It should fill us with hope always, no matter the circumstances that we're in, because someday we will experience full day. But of course, Solomon does go on here to, to contrast this with the way of wicked in verses 19 when he says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is a grim state of living that Solomon illustrates for those on the wicked path. The image that he creates here is that those who go on the wicked path are consumed by darkness. Just as Master Yoda warned us in the quote earlier, What's more is that they become so consumed by its darkness that they don't even know that they're on it. The pain and hopelessness that they experience in life, there's not even a hint of understanding what's causing it. There's nothing pleasant, promising, or hopeful about deep darkness. So seeing those around us who are living in deep darkness away from Jesus, it should draw out compassion from our hearts for them. We don't point and laugh at someone who's blind, stumbling to try and find their way. We help them immediately. See, the way of, those who are going the way of the wicked, they don't even know that they're on the wrong path. And that they're in deep darkness until someone comes along and tells them and shows them the right path. And church, we have access to the right path. The path that is well lit and safe unto the end. We know the one who is able to pull those who are lost from the darkness and bring them onto the safe, lighted path. He's done so with us. And he can do so with them. We can continue on rejoicing in the words of Colossians 1 that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he can and will deliver so many more. Let's pray for and help our stumbling neighbors to see the beauty of this path, which is Christ Jesus. We can tell them of the light and hope that's in Him. So now that we've been placed on this righteous path through gaining the legacy of wisdom, we've been kept on the path by growing in the light of wisdom, we now move on to see Solomon show us how we stay protected on the path. Let's look lastly at guarding the location of wisdom. In verses 20 to 27, Solomon now goes into the third and final fatherly appeal of our text this morning. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And we're seeing in this passage Solomon now equipping his son to remain on the righteous path by revealing this plan to protect himself along the way. And he reveals this plan in, in a sort of center thesis statement of this passage, verse 23, when he says, keep your heart 
with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Solomon reveals here in verse 23 where wisdom is stored and the location that needs to be guarded, the heart. And when Solomon's talking about the heart here, he's not talking about the anatomical internal organ that we have, although that's, that's pretty important to protect as well. What he's referring to as the heart is the inner man, the command and control center of our lives. It's the seat of all human will, thought, desire, and passion. And Solomon places a strong emphasis on protecting it for that reason. In his book, Keeping the Heart, a 17th century pastor and Puritan, John Flavel, says of the heart, the heart of man is his worst part before it is regenerated and the best afterward. It is the seed of principles, the foundation of actions. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian ought to be, principally fixed upon. See, as Flavel puts it here, our hearts can either be the wicked epicenter that leads us further down the path of deep darkness, or it can be the wellspring of life that stores up a love of Jesus and overflows with life-giving thoughts, words, and actions. But in order for our hearts to want what is pleasing to God and to desire the righteous path, we must receive a new heart. Because of the fall of man into sin in Genesis 3, our hearts have been deformed and distorted. They need to be made new. The prophet Jeremiah captures the state of the fallen human heart in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts, after the fall, are sick and turned away from God. We become His enemies because our hearts are given over to sinful thoughts and desires and actions, and we travel down the wicked path rather than desire to walk on the righteous path as He's intended. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you've never realized that you're on a path of sin against God, I want to invite you to turn from that path and turn to the righteous path of faith in Christ to receive a new heart. Jesus invites you to do this. In John 7, when he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So if you've not accepted Jesus' invitation, I invite you to call out to God this morning for this new heart in Christ. This new heart through the Holy Spirit will enable you to live your life to the glory and enjoyment of the Lord. It will be a wellspring of life worth protecting. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ by faith and have received a new heart through the, the Lord's work of regeneration, we've been given this wise safety plan from Solomon protect ourselves while traveling the righteous path. Keep our hearts with all vigilance. Now this phrase, in a lot of translations, is, it's often translated, guard your hearts. And I'm, I'm well aware of the many ways that this, this popular verse has been thrown around in the past. So I first want to clear up what guarding your heart does not mean. It does not mean that we are to be on guard to prevent the potential of heartbreak in the pursuit of romantic relationships. Though there is wisdom in guarding our hearts from sin in the realm of dating, Solomon is not primarily giving his son dating advice here. He's also not telling his son to protect himself from any possibility of having his feelings hurt by anyone. This isn't an exhortation to build up walls around us to prevent any deep cuts we could receive from someone whether it be intentional or unintentional. We will be hurt, and we'll hurt others. But we have the resilience and meekness of being in Christ that enables us to continue despite these hurts. What Solomon is providing here is a plan for guarding ourselves from the enemy, from temptations to give ourselves to the thoughts, desires, actions, and words of the wicked path. A plan that helps us to continue 
to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and do not turn away our eyes from him. So we can see the importance of guarding our hearts and why Solomon places such intensity on this by saying, with all vigilance, all pleas and appeals to get wisdom, everything that we're teaching in this sermon series on Proverbs, it's all in vain if we're careless when it comes to our hearts. Solomon has set out the security plan here in verse 23, but but what do we actually do? How does it actually work? Well, in verses surrounding verse 23, we're shown that this important work of guarding our hearts is not passive. We have an active role to play in this security plan. Solomon shows in verses 20 through 22 that what flows into our hearts and is stored there ultimately affects what flows out of our hearts. So we need to be aware of what exactly we're allowing into our hearts. Verses 20 through 22 say, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Solomon's showing here that what enters through our ears and our eyes makes its way down to our hearts. So if we store up wisdom in our hearts, the result in life and healing because we will keep ourselves on the right path, the path of the righteous, and we'll be protected from the temptations of the path of the wicked. However, what if we passively start to allow the teachings of the world and the ways of the wicked into our hearts instead? Without guarding our hearts with discernment and wisdom, we'd be making ourselves vulnerable to the temptations of the dark path. And church, we need to understand that there are no neutral messages in the world around us. We have so many mediums now through which these messages are making their way to us. What we take in through social media, the news, movies and TV shows, and even commercials and billboards, they're all trying to shape us in some way. And most often not into the likeness of Christ, but into the likeness of the world. These things are capable of revealing in us anger, greed, jealousy, envy, bitterness, and lust, and leading us into sin. So if we aren't vigilant about what we're allowing in through our eyes and our ears and into our hearts, we'll start to drift from the righteous lighted path onto the wicked path of darkness. Jesus takes the idea of guarding your hearts and even a step further in his Sermon on the Mount when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. We have to take drastic measures to guard our hearts and not allow things to flow in that could lead us to sin. So what are we allowing into our hearts through our eyes and ears? What media are we consuming on a regular basis that's tempting us to be greedy or envious? How much news are we consuming? And is it leading us to well up with anger? What are we looking at on our computers or phones that is tempting us to lust? What sort of things are we being passive with that could be making us vulnerable to sin? For my day job throughout the week, I, I work in cybersecurity, which, which sounds more exciting than it actually is, I assure you. But my job, along with those on my team, is to protect our network from any possible threats. This includes threats that are external, like viruses, cyber attacks that are trying to make its way into our network. However, an even bigger part of what we do day to day involves performing assessments on the inside of our network so that we can see where we may be vulnerable leaving ourselves open to an attack. 
And this could even be someone on the inside who's working against us. Either way, swift action is necessary when something's found that we can ensure that our network remains functioning and secure. Our hearts are much like this, and while we do need to be vigilant about what what may be flowing into our hearts, we also must be aware of what may already be in there. Because the heart is the seat of all human will, thoughts, desires, and passions. It controls everything that we do, what Solomon calls the springs of life. Solomon puts these on display in verses 24 through 27. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And with these exhortations, Solomon is showing the ways that the heart controls the rest of the body What is in our hearts affects what comes out of our mouths, where our eyes tend to look, and the path that our feet travel on. And Jesus reiterates this truth when teaching the people in Mark 7, when he says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The truth of what Solomon and Jesus are communicating is that when we sin, no surface level moralism or behavior modification is going to work. That's like putting a gold ring in the snout of a filthy hog and calling it beautiful. Or stapling healthy fruit onto a a dying tree. It's not going to work. Instead, when there's sin in our lives, we go straight to the root to address it, our hearts. What's going on in our hearts that is causing sin to spring from it? We need to be inspecting our hearts often to see what's not aligning with God's Word and wisdom. And as Christians, we don't do this work of guarding our hearts alone. First, we know God gives us his word, which discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, as Hebrews 4 tells us. But also, God has graciously given us each other to live in community with his people who are indwelt by the Spirit. When we're struggling to assess what's going on in our hearts, we have the gift of a brother or sister who can help us with this task. John Flavel likens our hearts to musical instruments that can go from being perfectly in tune to being knocked out of tune the next moment by a very small matter. And often we'll need those around us to help us get our hearts back in tune so then we can continue on in our part in God's beautiful orchestra. But here's the best news in all this for us, church. We have a Father in heaven who loves us so much. He's speaking these words of wisdom to us because He wants to see us stay on the safe and righteous path. His heart is for us and towards us. He wants us to finish this journey well. What better way could he have demonstrated this than sending his own son, Jesus, to live the perfect life of wisdom, to die the death that we all deserve, then be raised to full life and victory over darkness and death. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that the battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. That is, getting up each morning Replacing your natural orphan mindset with a mindset of full and free adoption into the family of God through the work of Christ, your older brother, who loved you and gave himself for you out of the overflowing fullness of his gracious heart. See, church, the remedy for sin in our hearts is not moralism, it's not lawish behavior modification. 
The remedy for sin in our hearts is the gospel and heart of Jesus Christ. We don't follow our hearts or trust our hearts as the world teaches us, but our hearts are to follow and trust in Him. To conclude, we want to hear this call from the author of Hebrews, which echoes the appeals of Solomon to his sons. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this is the way that we truly protect ourselves while living on the righteous path. Jesus is the way, and he's imploring us. If you sense that your mouth is starting to become prone to crooked speech, listen to me and mimic me. If you feel your eyes drifting towards something else seeking pleasure, fix them on me and receive true satisfaction. If you begin to feel your feet starting to swerve to the right or to the left, heading toward the wicked path, just follow me. I will help you guard your heart, and I will lead you on the right path that brings you safely to me. Church, let's, let's fill our hearts with the gospel and fix our eyes on Jesus together. Then all our ways will be sure. He is the one who places us on the right path. He leads us on the path. And he protects us while we're on it. He is with us always. And he'll never abandon us on the path as we head towards full day together. Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious and merciful God who, while we didn't deserve it, rescued us from deep darkness and placed us on the well-lit path to follow Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful gift of life and your son, Jesus, and your faithfulness to protect us through the journey of the Christian life. We ask that you would help us to guard our hearts from temptation and sin as we go out into the world amid so many distractions and influences. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, so that our speech will be honoring to you, our eyes will remain forward, and our step will not be hindered. We love you, Father. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.